there's always a great emphasis on preaching is that ministry, the call is to be a shepherd, yeah. and that the private ministry of the Word is equal to the public ministry of the Word. Yeah. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry? or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church. And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Dr. Kevin Backus, who served as a senior pastor at the Bible Presbyterian Church on Grand Island, New York, for 40 years. And I just learned that, and what a marvelous statistic. Praise God for his faithfulness, and praise the Lord for Dr. Backus's faithfulness. He also serves as a senior chaplain for the 14th largest sheriff office in America. Kevin and I have had the privilege of working together on the board of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors for over 20 years. It's been a delightful relationship, and I have, and I think all of our board members would say this, just appreciated Kevin's ability to help our board consider decisions carefully. He's a great thinker, and also in a way that is consistent with our organization's founding documents. Also, over the years, I've heard bits and pieces from Kevin about his ministry as a chaplain in his community. It really is a great example of what we mean by biblical counseling in action, or what we're talking about when we say that there's a difference between a church having a counseling ministry and being a counseling ministry. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about it today. So Dr. Backus, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Steve, it's really a privilege to do that, and this is not just saying thank you, but honestly, you've been a great inspiration in the ministry there in Lafayette in terms of the very thing you're talking about, bringing biblical counseling into the community in different ways. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the joys of serving on a board like the board of what was formerly NANC and now mm -hmm. ACBC. If there was ever iron sharpening iron, it, mm -hmm. it happens in, at all sorts of different levels in those relationships. And, and I think you're right, that we learn from one another about how is God using us and, and what are some of the new ways we're trying to apply some of these principles in community life. It's great to grow together, isn't it? It sure is, yes. Can you tell us how and when you became interested in biblical counseling? I was in college at the time, about my junior year, and I had just run across this book. It was written by some guy named Jay Adams. <laughs> and, of course, every time you start these stories with some of us, that's, it always starts with Absolutely. that name. And I ran across uh, Competent Counsel and the Christian Counselor's Manual, and I started reading one, and I said, this is what pastoral ministry is about. Hmm. Really kind of an odd thing to do, but I dropped out of a course and took the time I would have put class time and you know extra time outside the class into going through the material and learning as much as I could about biblical counseling. It's interesting that you would say, you didn't say, this is what counseling is about. You said, this is what pastoral ministry is about. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? It is. I wasn't thinking about counseling, per se. I, I was just, you know, they'd have me a book on it. I said, well, maybe a piece. But when I read it, I realized that's not just something off separate from the church. This is life in the church, and this is what the ministry is called to do. It's not a call to be a preacher. 
It's a call to be a pastor. It's yeah. to be a shepherd. Yeah, and you know, those of us who knew Jay, we know that he loved pastors. He mm-hmm. loved the local church. He wanted to equip local churches and local pastors to accomplish the work that God had given us to do, and he was calling us to, to do that and to do that well. Yes. But you're right. It, it was not about counseling per se, it was about the larger issue of biblical philosophy of ministry in the local church. I didn't really think about it the way I said that. That's the way it just comes out of my, yeah. my thoughts. You know, yep. it's like, this is what out it's about. Out of the abundance of the heart, yeah. right? Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. You weren't necessarily trying to make a point, but it's no. interesting how quickly you just transitioned from counseling to local church mm-hmm. ministry. Yep. Yeah, that's really great. Anything else about those? just that early interaction with biblical counseling principles? After you got... It's interesting how many people have that same story. Right. They got competent to counsel, they got the Christian Counselor's Manual, and that set their heart on fire. Yeah. It, we persuaded our ed psych teacher to put that in the curriculum in college and ended up in seminary, getting our, our professors there to use the material. I Kind of choosing all my papers and research papers on that topic, I was going to do a master's at CCEF and at Westminster and Temple. It was a kind of a combination, Mm -hmm. and my church called me home. And at that time, our congregation had a lot of ministry in various communities in western New York that we were bringing into the church by buses. Mm. So I had an enormous amount of a population that was flowing in every week that were people who were not coming off of Grand Island, not coming out of the suburbs. And it, it gave me an enormous amount of counseling experience because the church had said, you know, we want you to do counseling. It was like 25% of my job description along with preaching. And so you had to decide what you believed about counseling, but it wasn't just a matter of, well, let's take some classes and write some papers. You were dealing with real-life ministry from the very beginning. From the very beginning. I never heard about NANC for years after that. I heard about it, oh, boy, when we first had the conference at Jay's church, and I found about about, about a week before that and drove down, and there were people I had already known who were there at the conference that welcomed us in. It is really interesting to hear the stories of different men and women who are involved in biblical counseling, Mm -hmm. and some for a long time, just to hear how the Lord brought them into those initial principles. And it's definitely um, a work of His sovereign hand. Oh, absolutely. And then the next year was over at Lafayette, so that really was, I get to see it embedded in practice in a church. Wow. Wow. So what impact has biblical counseling had on your church and the way you think about pastoral ministry? Well, probably that my first statement probably let you know how we think about yeah, it. So, that's right. <laughs> people, in fact, uh, when I finished teaching at one seminary I teach at, they, give the bo- they ask the board members all to give a three-minute or less send-off to the students there. Mm. And what I always remind them, because there's always a great emphasis on preaching, is that ministry, the call is to be a shepherd, yeah. and that the private ministry of the Word is equal to the public ministry of the Word. Yeah. So that's how we see it at the church, and so there's always been a counseling practice going on, just embedded into the church. And then you people used to say, what was it, a home-going pastor makes a church-going people? Hmm, interesting. But a counseling pastor certainly understands people and is able to preach to them in a way that someone who doesn't have that kind of relationship would have trouble doing. Yeah, my mentor, Bill Good, whom mm-hmm. you knew and loved, yep. used to like to say that he didn't want to be a pastor one day a week. He wanted to be a pastor seven days a week, mm-hmm. and so he wanted to value the public proclamation of the Word on the Lord's Day, and yep. he did. He wanted yep. to prioritize his preparation time, yep. and he did. 
However, he wanted to be available for the members of his church the rest of the week in helping them apply biblical truth to the practical issues of everyday life. And of course, that fits right in with Acts 20, doesn't it? Where it Paul sure does. was talking about, you know, you start that passage with the marvelous story of him preaching until midnight and some poor lad falling out of the third floor dead. And so Paul goes and revives him and then brings him up and continues the sermon at daybreak. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to let somebody die and get in the way of me preaching longer. Yet Paul goes on as he's talking to the Ephesian elders about how he not just ministers the public proclamation of the mm-hmm. Word, but he admonished them daily with tears. Right, from not, house not to just, house. Yeah, from house to house. Right. And, and so you have that emphasas of the private ministry of the Word as well. So it's great when you have the privilege of doing that as a pastor, isn't mm-hmm. it? And then after, you know, a part of that was watching the elders in our church, the lay elders in our church, buy into that. And they have buy-in on that idea and then they themselves become involved going out and carrying on that ministry, pastoral ministry to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just following biblical principles, newthetic principles along the way. Yeah, for sure. So, so can we transition and talk sure. about the chaplain piece of that? Sure. How long have you been doing that? How did that come about? What can you tell us about that piece of the ministry? It's an odd piece. I started in 2013, and I started doing it because the sheriff asked me to do it. Hmm. So there how, was, how did you have a relationship with the sheriff where he would even ask you? Well, I'm involved in politics. Mm-hmm. So every Saturday, a bunch of people would get around, would sit around a table and have conversations. And we do it every Saturday morning for a few hours. Really? And that's gone on for years. So, <laughs> um, and my party's in the middle of it. So in the midst of that, and I, I didn't know it, I only know this because he's shared it a number of times. But in the midst of that, somebody came up and they wanted to sell me some raffle tickets. And it was for a good cause, but I said, like, I don't gamble. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, well, just, you know, I said, how much, just let me give you a gift. How much is it? You know, I, you can have it as a gift. So, and he kept saying, well, I'll write it to your church then, or I'll write it to you, <laughs> or I'll, you know, I'll do, I said, like, just take the money. If you want the money as a gift, you can do what you want with it. But if, you, if you're going to write me a ticket, I don't want it. So later on, he talked about integrity and having seen that, hmm. and then asked me about serving a reserve deputy and a chaplain. That's pretty amazing that just one simple choice led to that kind of a ministry opportunity. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about doing it with anybody around, (laughs) just a normal normal response. You know, Kevin, I don't even know what that actually looks like on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis, so can you unpack for us what what does it mean, at least in your particular situation, as a full-time pastor, person who also serves in seminaries, you travel a lot worldwide... What does it look like to serve as a community chaplain on a typical week or a typical month? Okay, so Steve, just when you asked that question, I really was straining with that a little bit. And I did check with a number of chaplains, because in my little group we have uh, a number of chaplains who work together in different parts of the country. And we don't have a typical call. Really? Yeah. There is no real typical call. And part of what you asked, I'd I'd almost want to help maybe people think about, because I'm a law enforcement chaplain. Mm-hmm. But there still are multiple ways of approaching that. Hmm. So you talked about a community chaplain. That's There are some that that's their job. They're there to get in between the officers and, say, a family that's had a death and right. keep that off. And they're a community chaplain. They may do a lot of death notifications. There are employee chaplains, and hmm. there are chaplains to the inmates. 
So, so it, would people consider themselves isolated in that way? I mean, would somebody say, well, my role is only to work with employees, but I wouldn't do death notifications? No, we probably would help if asked on that. But what where we don't cross over is between, so I'm an employee chaplain. My ministry is targeted towards the people, the people, and there's quite a few of them, who work in our office and their dependents. And in that group, I have, there's a, I won't say how many, but there's a good number of chaplains who work with me or under me. And some of them, they have segmented ministries. One of them does nothing but attend wakes and funerals of, of our employees. And mm. he'll do that several times a week. And if I don't have to think about that, I'm thrilled. Mm. Others of them do services in our two facilities on Sunday and some Saturday. So it's... Uh, four to six services in a week. And so would those be services for employees? No, those are for inmates. Those guys will do the work for the inmates. But if I want to work with those of us who want to be available for the employees, law enforcement generally doesn't want to see somebody who's there for them dealing with inmates. That's There's interesting. a concern about what we might bleed over or share. I hadn't even thought about that, where you almost have to decide what segment of ministry you're going to mm-hmm. choose. Is that correct? That's correct, at least in our office. And what I hear from when I confirm with other people, that's true just pretty much around the, around the world. Yeah. So are those typically paid positions, or are they volunteer positions? Well, I'm a volunteer. I have a couple of those positions by charter of the county are paid positions, mm-hmm. and they're not paid a lot, but they're just stipends for doing the services. Hmm. And I'm happy to have the people who are committed to do services every week to be the ones who are picking up on that. Hmm. Interesting. So so can you talk to us about just what is a typical call like? <laughs> so there isn't a typical call, but, you know, <laughs> just, you know, if you were to say, what do I do the most? Uh-huh. I, I go to a coffee shop and meet with law enforcement guys a couple, three times a week from several departments, not even just my own. And there's a bit of a ministry of presence because if I were to talk about the kinds of things you're probably wondering about, those are the kinds of things that happen when somebody knows you and you have been sort of allowed to cross the barrier. Because hmm. there's a big barrier between law enforcement and the rest of the world. Interesting. You got to understand the kind, you know, when, when you counsel a lot, it makes you sensitive to the kinds of things that appear in humanity, right? Hmm. You're trying to help people, so you're thinking about, you know, how to sin affect people. Hmm. And you're more aware of that than maybe somebody sitting in the pew who's never had to interact like that. Well, law enforcement, they spend a lot of their day dealing with people who are, well, they're just people they need to be careful about. So when you say you meet for coffee several times a week, if I were the law enforcement officer, would mm-hmm. I be thinking, hey, I'm just going to go hang out with Dr. Backus Mm-mm. because he's interested in me personally. We're just going to have a friendship conversation that may not even involve anything of a faith-based aspect. Or How does it, that It has more to say, like, we're all taking our break. The guys are all taking our break in a certain place, and I'm expected or welcome to be there. I see. And there's no stay over there or we can't talk because, you know, he's here. So it was the idea that I'm going to build a relationship in that particular setting, yep. and then if there's a spiritual question or a spiritual need, there's a natural segue. Is that the way that works? That's the way it works. It's a development from the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. So you'll have, you know, I have somebody who's got his inherited a Bible from a family member, and they started going through it, and they've got questions, and then they pick up the phone and give me a call. 
Yeah, so that's the idea, that when a person has a spiritual question, when a person has a spiritual need, right. you want to have a relationship in place, so they're the one, you're the one that they think of to contact. Mm-hmm. Or, a, you know, without getting real specific on details, the, you know, an off, a deputy runs, or an officer, because they work with another department too, they have a situation they run into, and it's extremely personal. They may know the people who were involved. It might involve the death of a child or something mm-hmm. like that, and you get a call out for that. And so you're helping the officer. You can deal with the, the family members then, and that's the community aspect comes up, but at their request, you know, and so then they can continue on with what they need to do. Or got called out by our neighboring city when they lost an officer in a very tragic thing. It was five days looking for the officer hmm. and be there. And, you know, half the guys can't come out of the, in the midst of a crisis, they can't start thinking about themselves. But then again, here's a guy that, you know, the person's next friend who's missing, and, and I went through the academy with him, and, you know, I'm buried in his arms as he's asking questions, and we have a chance to minister and pray. So, you know, anybody doing any level of chaplaincy work is going to be operating off of a basis of some presuppositions. Mm-hmm. Are you able at that time to bring your biblical beliefs into that conversation or into that interaction? How, how does that work? Well, when I get interviewed for the position, two chaplains interviewed me, and the question you know, came up, you understand that there are limitations in what you can bring up. Like, if I'm with a grieving family, or if I'm with an officer over here, or if I got a call from somebody who has had a, well, usually if I get a call from an officer deputy who's had a tragedy in front of them and they want to talk, once they ask me something spiritual about spiritual issues... I told him, here's the thing, at that juncture, I'm a Bible Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. So I'm not some nilla vanilla Christian limited on what I can say. If you're asking me at that point, then at that point, I get to talk to you as I understand the Word of God. And so it's well known to these officers, at least at some point in the relationship, who you are, what you do, shall we say, full-time, what you represent, yep. and you're free to be able to operate off of that presuppositional base when it's appropriate to do so. When they ask, yep. Yeah, I've been, you know, I've been around with all the command staff pretty much out on the roads and introduced to them, and they know who I am, and I address every class that's just been trained for inside the facilities and let them know what they're going to face and who we are as a group of chaplains and what we can provide and myself personally, and then we make ourselves available. So do you see the need in that kind of chaplaincy work going up because of the pressure there is on law enforcement officers culturally? Um, I see that need uh, among the officers that I talk with, and I know it from other officers as well. They're not all turning to a chaplain for answers Mm -hmm. to those things. But yeah, the pressure is horrendous. Well, you know, and what I'm alluding to is after 911, I mean, there was great respect given to our firefighters, great respect given right. to our police officers and, mm-hmm. and other community leaders in that line of work. Whereas it seems like now, because there have been some unfortunate examples of people in that career line making wrong choices, that that then seems to color everybody, just like when a preacher makes a wrong choice, we're all guilty. Mm -hmm. And so it it seems to me it's a rough day to be a police officer. It's a very rough day. A number of people that I've worked with have pulled their pin based on that. Can you explain what what this... I'm sorry, they retired based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
So do you think that that's going to increase the need for the very kind of relationships that you're talking about? I believe it does, and I hope I hope there'll be more opportunities for it. Absolutely. So let's say there's somebody listening to this and thinking, hey, I have an interest. I would like to do that kind of work, mm-hmm. but I don't know where to start. What would your recommendation be to them? Well, in the first place, to understand there's different kinds of chaplaincy organizations. Yeah, that was helpful to me. So um, not only roles, but the way it's organized. I come from a couple hundred-year-old office. They're in the Northeast. It's larger. Those organizations have their own rules for how you know chaplains are brought in. Mm-hmm. I have friends who work in the Northwest, you know, and they're in some more, even in large areas out there, the chaplains out there are often outside of the departments and so not departmental like mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. They're more of a community-based organization. So one of my friends is in one area, gone in and organized the ministers in an area to a chaplain corps, which then reaches out and the local fire departments and police departments all call on them mm-hmm. when they have a need. So it's going to be a little bit based on that. Mm-hmm. In my world, it starts off by having a clean record. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, right. The, that's the biggie. So you start off with a clean record. You have to be ordained into the ministry. It doesn't have to be my way of being ordained, but ordained officially. We check mm-hmm. those things out. And then I recommend that, and this is what I did. I went out to, actually it's in the Northwest, but it's around the country. I got training specifically to be a chaplain because my seminary just didn't include information on how to protocol for a crime scene, protocol for a trauma scene, you know, what to do in the line of duty death, what to do in death note. Those things were not in a normal seminary training. And then the part I do, some of those things are important. Hmm. And so then beyond that, in our area, then if you're selected, then you have to go through a peace officer's academy. Most people don't become peace officers. I did. But you go through the academy, so you have some idea what's going on. Wow. You know, when I walk into a facility... And I don't get to do that a lot, but when I do, I still remember one of the sergeants going like, no, no, he's one of us. He's got the uniform and he's had family fun day, which is when you get sprayed in the face with pepper spray. This is a day you will never forget. Family fun day, huh? Family fun day, yeah. (laughs) You know, back in Lafayette, Indiana, where I have the privilege of serving, Mm -hmm. one of our pastoral staff members was just recently approached by a, a local fire chief, and they were creating the office of chaplain. Yes. And so he was asked if he would like to fulfill that role and it's just getting started in all of that, but mm-hmm. we see it as another opportunity for ministry. But I also believe that if he runs into a problem, he's going to be able to call somebody like you, who's been doing this for a much longer period of time, and get additional mm-hmm. help and insight and resources. Love to help. There's also the same kind of training. In fact, I was cross-trained as fire and police chaplain. Oh, is that and, right? And so there's one place that trains for both. There's only one place that does both. That's out near Seattle. But the others are, you can go for training as a fire chaplain already. So what kind of, when you go for training, is that a day, a week, a month? What length of training? It was a week. It was an all-day. I was trained at the institution where all the law enforcement, except for the state troopers in in the state of Washington, are trained. You remember when we used to go out there at Seattle Airport. It's right near the Seattle Airport. I see. It's their academy. And there's a group, uh, one of the groups of the chaplains runs it. You know, you're on a law enforcement training ground. So you are in there for 40 hours in that week, and we're, we're listening. Here's the forensic specialist out of Portland, for example, who's coming up and talking about forensic issues you're going to want to know. Here's the another officer who's coming in and telling us about behavior on a crime scene and little things that you need to know. Otherwise, you could become part of the whole thing, hmm. you know, part of the investigation. And then you're up in fire towers, you know, in the dark and getting used to the protocol and the way the firemen deal with those is things. Is that right? Yeah. 
Wow. And so that kind of just, you know, that's not the main part of your chaplaincy. And I would say if you're in a situation where you know you're only going to work in, inside a facility like mm-hmm. a jail, you don't need all of that. But if you're ever going to be out on a, an emergency, you know, a plane comes down like we've had, or, you know, there's a death scene where there's a whole of an officer where there's a major investigation, you got to try and know how you're going to behave in those areas. Yeah, that is really, really helpful. It is. Well, you know, this is a great example of what we mean by biblical counseling in action. And I'm hoping that there will be some men and women who will hear this. And just because of the way God has wired them or because of the situation that they're in in their community, for them to say, you know, maybe I don't want to do biblical counseling in a formal one hour a week in an office kind of thing. But wow, if I could serve as a chaplain, that would be a marvelous calling. And to think that in at least certain situations, I would be able to use biblical truth to be able to, to minister in those situations, that would be a calling worth checking out. And I'm hoping that people are going to listen to all of this and be inspired by the work that you have done and the way God has used you and perhaps lead them to make those kind of connections in their community. So thank you for so much for your time. Thank you for letting me do it. Appreciate it. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org slash conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.